0: Welcome to the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. I'm your host, Khalith Wright, CEO, Air Force Aid Society. Join me as we chat with extraordinary guests, share stories, and learn how amazing people are making a difference in the lives of so many Air Force and Space Force families. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And welcome to the Airmen Helping Airmen podcast. I am your CEO of the Air Force A Society, Khalith Wright. And we have a very, very impactful show for you today with some extremely important guests. So let me get right to it and introduce you to our guests for today. First, we have with us Brigadier General, uh, U.S. Army retired, Tom Landwehrmeier, who is the president and CEO of Homes for Our Troops. Now, Tom Spent 33 years, I believe it is, in the military in the United States Army. And he's also had some experience in the corporate world before he became the CEO of Homes for Our Troops, as well as in the Pentagon and various other areas. So, Tom, welcome to the show. We also have with us a retired Staff Sergeant Keith Sekora, uh U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Keith Socorro. And Keith spent 17 and a half years in the military, a little bit of time in the army and then in the Air Force where he was wounded in Afghanistan. So, Keith, welcome to the show as well. Thank you. How are you guys doing today? We're doing great. Yeah. Well, good, good, good. First of all, thank you so much for the work Tom, you and your team do for us. Thank you for your service. And certainly, Keith, thank you for your service. We may also have another warrior joining us today. He may come in as we have the discussion and we'll introduce. His name is uh, Mass Sergeant Chris Aguilar. He's also a retired Air Force member.
1: So but for now, let's start with you, Tom. Tell us a little bit about Homes for Our our Troops. OK, again, Khalif, thanks for having us on today. Great to be with you. Homes for Our Troops is a national charity. We're located in the Boston area, just outside of Boston in Taunton, Massachusetts, uh, severely injured veterans in the application process of our program. We've we've been around since 2004, so we're in our 18th year, and our mission is to build specially adapted custom homes across the country, and then we donate them to the most severely injured post-9-11 veterans to enable them to rebuild their lives. Since 2004, we've uh, built and donated 324 homes. I've been in 42 states. We've got more than 100 severely injured veterans in the application process of our program. We've got another 73 projects currently ongoing. And on top of all those numbers, we've got more than 1,000 more severely injured veterans that would qualify for our program. So we got a lot of work to do. Wow, that's pretty amazing. And
0: and like I mentioned before at the beginning of the show, what a huge impact that you're having on our veterans and uh, particularly our severely injured service members.
1: How did you get involved,
0: Tom, in Homes for Our Troops?
1: Well, I was actually working for another nonprofit for about five years as their COO of the Armed Services YMCA. Very different mission located all across the country in different sizes of our branches and stuff. But we were providing services to the most junior enlisted servicemen and women still on active duty. I've been doing that for about five years, and a good friend and colleague of mine from the Army, who was the past president of Homes for Our Troops, approached me, said that he had actually been contacted by one of his mentors through the Army, and we all have them. All of us that have served any length of time in the military have some mentors, and for some of those, they're very special to us. And when they call and ask for your help, you basically drop what you're doing and run to the sound of the guns. And that's what he was doing. And he said, if you've got uh, any desire to come in behind me, let me know and I'll give your name to the board. And I I went and did, you know, your normal due diligence. And because I had kept in contact with him and I knew what he was doing, but I didn't have a lot of specifics on Homes for Our Troops. I went to the website, I checked out the financials, I looked at the board I looked at the leadership. Everything was all positive. And then I got to a portion of our website where we list all the veterans that we have either built for or are in the process of building. And in each one of those, it's got their names in the alphabetical order, and you can click on them, and there's a video. And I started watching these videos, and they were just over the top powerful. They were only three to four minutes long, gave a little bit of the veteran story, uh, talked about their current living environment and what they were looking forward to in a home. And I was watching several of them, and they were they were kind of put together in the same format. You had a couple of red chairs and some background with a lot of lighting and stuff, very professionally done. And my wife kept walking back and forth behind me, and she finally stopped and said, are you watching the same video over and over again? And I said, no. I said, have you got four minutes? Just watch one with me. And she said, well, okay. So she pulled up a chair, and I just hit replay on the video I just watched. And I sat back and watched her. And as the video played out, she got closer and closer to the screen. Her head started to tilt a little bit. You could tell how interested she had really become in it. And when it got done, she looked over at me and said, play another one. I went, exactly. The videos were so impactful that I called my buddy back within the same day and said, whatever I got to do to compete, to be a part of this organization and that mission, Let me know, and then about three months later, a few stops through the board, and I had a position. And been doing this now for five years. I love every minute of it. It truly is a an honor and a privilege. Anytime you get to lead, but especially for this organization and the folks like Keith that we support, because we do not, even though we're a national charity, we don't see what we do as charity. We really see what we do as the moral obligation of the citizens of our country to repay a part of a debt that can never be completely repaid to these. Troops and their families that selflessly served and sacrificed so much so that all of us could continue to enjoy our freedoms every day.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much, Tom, for answering that call, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure Keith and so many other veterans really, really appreciate it. Speaking of Keith, tell us your story. Tell me about your military journey. What made you join the Army, and and what made you join the Air Force? Well, mine started
2: my year after college. I got hurt. My scholarship was kind of taken away. So I joined the Army first, did 10 years active there as an MP. I was a dog handler, mainly at Fort Bragg. After 10 years, I got out. I had that bubble and it was time to either stay in for 20 or go do something else. I decided to go do something else. Became a civilian law enforcement officer, first in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and then I moved out to King County in Washington State. 9-11 happened, wanted to do more. So I joined the Air Force Reserve, started as a combat arms instructor in the Air Force. And after a year of that, while I was at an NCO development course, I came across a booth that was telling you about the shortages in jobs. And EOD was at the top of the list. Always wanted to do it. I applied, got the job, and next thing you know, I was living in Florida for a year, going to school. After school, got back to Joint Base lewis McCord, did uh, a year of upgrade training, and then started my deployment windows. Did a couple deployments. The last one was to Afghanistan in 2010. During that deployment, I was deployed with an army unit. We were recovering a uh, cache of weapons. It was actually a buyback. And during that mission, I got struck in the back. I'm not sure about what, knocked me down. The medic got me back up, did the whole hand swipe, no blood, no foul thing. Probably 32 hours later, I started having strokes. What we didn't know is what hit me in the back. Dissector severed my left vertebral artery. So I wanted two arteries that feed your brain with blood. After the 32 hours, it started clotting and the clot started breaking off and going into my brain. So they medevac me out. I spent a couple weeks in Germany and then eight months at Walter Reed and like a year and a half at Madigan at Joint Base Lewis McCord doing rehab until May of... 2012 when they medically retired me so it's been a journey because i'm still doing therapy today you know if you stop you regress and things get worse it's a little fight every day but i'm not letting it slow me down
0: yeah well thank you for your service thank you for the inspiration and continuing to fight and and showing us all you know, why not only why you, but all, why all service members and from all the branches, why we serve It's just amazing to see. And, and I'm thankful that you're still here with us and that you're doing well. Who oh, you got back there on the bed that's that's joining us today?
2: Oh, That's my service dog, Pintler. He's hanging out. Pintler. All right. <laughs> We're good. Well, Pintler, welcome to the show. He's never too far away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Pintler, welcome to the show as well. And he's looking pretty comfortable, too. Yeah, yeah he huh? is. He is. Yeah. So, tell us about. You talked about therapy. I've, I've Keith. I've spoke to several of your colleagues, Air Force wounded warriors, and had a chance to attend the Warrior Games a, a couple of times. And, and many of them talk to me about how therapeutic competing in the games are. What has you know being able to compete in the Wounded Warrior Games and Invictus
2: Games meant for you? Yeah, the adaptive sports. I started my career with adaptive sports and aware Games when my recovery care coordinator made me go to one of the adaptive sports camps. At that point, I was in the woe is me phase, didn't really want to do anything. My life was over. I lost my law enforcement career, my military career. So as far as I was concerned, nothing was happening good. Mr. Tyson, my RCC, sent me to the adaptive sports camp where... I fell in love with the adaptive sports. I applied and did the first three warrior games. I participated in archery, track and field throwing the throwing events and seated volleyball. And I think I even swam one year, which was horrible. I'm not a swimmer, <laughs> not built for it anymore. So after the first warrior games, I was hooked. I went to several other adaptive sports camps. During one of the camps, I actually got on the wrong bus, going to what I thought was the air rifle and air pistol, wound up at archery. So me being stubborn, I walk in, I look around, I was like, well, this isn't what I signed up for. If the coach goes, well, you're here for four hours, you might as well try it. So I pushed my wheelchair off to the side, because I still had it. I needed it sometimes. I was more or less using it as a walker. He gave me a bow. I pulled it back, went to aim, closed an eye. Vertigo kicked in, hit the ground. When I fell over, arrow went off. So I'm on the floor laughing. Everybody on the line, all the other warriors are laughing. If you get too serious, then you're never going to get through this. He comes over after he figures out that I'm okay, looks at me and goes, well, look, you can tell everybody that you shot a deer with your first arrow. And he points over to a deer head on the wall where my arrow is stuck in it. And I am pretty sure to this day that Arrow is still in that head. The owner of the shop has refused to take it out. Yeah. (laughs) After that, I decided that archery was the way I wanted to go. Fast forward three and a half more years, and I'm on the U.S. national team, and I am trying out for the Olympics. I tried out for the Rio team, and I tried out for the Tokyo team. That just happened last year. Yeah. Came close to each, but it wasn't my time. So I've got 2024 is France, and I believe 2028 is L.A. So my plan is to keep moving forward and try again. Yeah, man. Hey, best of luck to you. And thank
0: you so much for not only representing this nation as a service member in two of the branches, but the Air Force and this nation in those games it's really an inspiring story and I just can't thank you enough for everything that you do. So Tom when you there's lots of veterans like Keith and like Chris and folks who participate in all of these uh, warrior games how does homes for our troops interact? I mean what's the linkage? How do you find them or how do they
1: find you when in terms of the work that you do for our veterans? Yeah, it's a great question, Khalith. Early on in the early or late 2000s, five, six, seven, in there, most of the troops were hearing about us at the hospitals and we had a presence there and we would let them know who we were and what we were doing and, and we would get some of our guys from there. The good thing about wars being done is we don't have a lot of those guys coming back injured right now, mm-hmm. but there were still about 2000 of them injured to the degree that would have qualified for our program. And so it started getting to be word of mouth, and that's the way it's continued to this day. We're getting um, we're getting veterans that were um, injured downrange back in 2005, 2006, 2007 that are just now coming to us. Some are word of mouth of um, other veterans that have already come into our program and received a home, and they bump into them. It could have it could easily have been uh, somebody at a, a camp or a competition that Keith may have gone to that. Keith's sitting there talking to and says, Hey, have you got a home from Homes for Our Troops? And if they don't, he may hook them up with us and then we'll get our process started. But generally, these days, word of mouth. Yeah, well, good. That's a unique and
0: a neat way to spread the word and for veterans to learn about it, uh, particularly the severely injured veterans like Keith. I want to come back to you, Tom, here in just a second and talk about the actual process of working with the member and determining what how things might be laid out or how large or what things they need. But but first I want to ask Keith, tell us about some of the things that as a wounded veteran, you had to deal with before you were in your home. I understand you're in your home now, but that we might take for granted. What are some of the things that, that some of the needs and some of the difficulties and challenges of just everyday living that most of us
2: take for granted? When I first got wounded, I was in a wheelchair when I got out of the hospital. Then I went to a walker, then to a cane, and now I'm kind of just shuffling along. I still have the cane if I need it. Yeah. In the beginning, some of the biggest things were hallway width. Wheelchairs and hallways are not conducive to each other. I don't know how many hallways I destroyed trying to go up and down the hallway, just hitting stuff, along with my knuckles. Stairs, carpet. The shower. Mm-hmm. Even today, before I got into this house, when I was just walking and got rid of the other stuff to help me, my foot is in a, a prosthetic. So, carpet, I can't feel my foot. It gets caught on the carpet. I fall. Stairs, I can't feel my foot. I miss a step. I fall. Yeah. Even something as easy as trying to step into the shower. With a lip on it or a tub to jump in, walking in your house, people take for granted that little step you take to get into the house, that trip job, trying to walk in your backyard or get into your backyard, walking in the grass or just cutting your grass. Yeah. These things all impact everything we do. And with the new house, everything is ADA. Compliant, the hallways are wider. So when I am in my wheelchair, I don't feel like I'm getting crushed by the hallway. I can make it up and down the hallway without banging into everything. It's hardwood floor all the way through. I don't have to worry about carpet. Mm-hmm. And it's actually like a, a vinyl floor. Okay. So it's a lot sturdier than hardwood. Yeah. So um, my service dog's nails don't tear it up. Or <laughs> if I am in the wheelchair. Making turns, a lot of times the the floors will start to separate under the wheelchairs. Well, with this floor, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, good. So
0: certainly most of us take those things for granted, right? Walking on carpet or going upstairs or being able to move about and turn and navigate hallways. So, Tom, you meet a, a veteran, you meet a warrior like like Keith. How does the process work in terms of how your team interacts with a person like Keith to determine? Exactly, what the needs are, and and how you might go about
1: building a home for him. So, we've got a lady on our staff that's been in our organization now for over 13 years. To be eligible for our program, our injured veterans first have to be eligible for the VA's specially adapted housing grant. And that's a congressionally established program with specific requirements to meet it. Once they're eligible for that, then they can apply to us, fill out our application form, and our staffer, Mara, known to all the veterans as Ma, because that's kind of how she takes care of them. She's their mom. They all know her. She keeps in contact with probably every darn one of them. If I want to know something about a veteran, all I got to do is go ask her and she'll give me an updated uh, report on what they're up to. If uh, And we've got some of our veterans, as as you would know, the VA has got a tough job. <laughs> and it's a huge, huge organization. So there are places in the VA that do really, really well at supporting our veterans. And there are other places where they have their challenges, just like any big organization. There are some of our veterans that as soon as we say, do you have your VA SAH grant? They throw up the hand and say, okay, well, if I got to have that, never mind, because I'm not doing anything with the VA. Well, (laughs) our staff from Mara will actually hand carry them through the process of applying for that VA grant and getting it approved. We've also had occasions when that grant has come back disapproved. And over the time we've been in business, we know what injuries are going to get approved for that grant and which injuries are not going to get approved for that grant. So occasionally we'll have one that's disapproved and we're just myself, my executive director, who's another 30 plus year Army retiree, both of us kind of revert back into our military mode of just, okay, tell me who's in charge of that outfit so I can go straighten them out. Mm-hmm. But she gets in contact with a tremendous individual there by the name of Jay Latona at the VA. And he is a a huge advocate for us and for the veterans. And she'll say, here's what happened and he'll go get it fixed. He can get it turned around in 24 hours. So they get their grant, they come back to us, they fill out an application form, which is really not much. We do a criminal background check. Suffice it to say, there have been a couple of times when we have come back with issues in the background of one of our veterans that our donors and supporters would not be in favor of. Mm -hmm. And if we come back with something like that, and again, it's only been a a couple of times over 18 years, we just let that veteran know that, I'm sorry, but you don't qualify for the program. The ones that do, we go ahead, we also do a financial health check on them because number one, a lot of these guys were pretty young, guys and gals. We've got some female veterans in our program as well. But uh, a lot of them were young when they were blown up most of them were blown up by our enemy's weapon of choice downrange, the IED. And being a young pup out there going downrange, getting paid money, you're not having to pay taxes on it. You got nowhere to spend it, nothing to spend it on. So it just kind of mounts up when you come back, you start to do things with it and you go out and buy some things and you buy a car, you buy a motorcycle, you buy our other things and and just do stuff. And all of a sudden it's gone. So your finances aren't necessarily where they need to be, especially if you're going to be a homeowner. Because even though they, they won't have a mortgage, we give them the home, gift it to them, they'll still be a homeowner and they're responsible for the utilities, the taxes, homeowner association fees, upkeep, any bills associated with the home insurance, all those kinds of things. They are a real live homeowner. So we go through all that. And if they've got their finances kind of upside down, sort of, then we've got a company that has been providing three years, totally free, pro bono, financial planning assistance to every one of our veterans and families. Hmm. And if we see that they're kind of upside down in their finances, then we'll start that early so that they're ready to be a homeowner when they get their keys. If not, uh, we'll get it started down the line, but everybody gets three years worth. The last thing we do in our process of bringing them into our family, and and we call it a family, is we bring veterans uh, two or three times a year up to a conference, and it's held uh, just outside of Boston. It's actually held... In uh, Patriot Place, where the New England Patriots play, mm-hmm. in a hotel that's right there next to the stadium, and we go through three days and nights of we call it HVT One Hundred One Homes for Our Troops One Hundred One. So we let them know everything about us. The entire process, they get to meet a whole lot of the staff because up until this point, all of our interaction has been either by email or on the phone, and this is really the first time that we get look in their eyes and visit with them, and they get to look in our eyes and meet us. And so I always start off that session of that three days telling them, we think you're right for us or you wouldn't be here, but you also got to look at what we do and how we do it and see if we're right for you, because we may not be. And sometimes we haven't been. And at the end of that, we make a decision. If everything's gone well, then we'll bring them into the family and we tell them we're going to give them home. We do that usually at the dinner before they leave, the night before they leave, and telling somebody... They're getting a home that we're going to build them a home is the most powerful thing I've ever experienced. Yeah. It is just something else to see their reactions. Yeah. I think it's that it's really interesting when
0: you said, hey, we believe you're right for us. We need to make sure that you feel like this is a good fit. So what makes Homes for Our Troops unique? Because there are other, I think the Sinise Foundation does work very similar, and there's probably other nonprofits that do it do stuff for our severely injured veterans.
1: So what makes uh, Homes for our troops such a unique opportunity? Yeah, another great question. You're full of great questions today, and I appreciate it. <laughs> so really two things we point to. First, veterans choose where they want to live in our family. Mm-hmm. So we tell them, hey, you need to figure out where you want to live and, and where you want us to build your forever home because we want you to stay in that home. And they look around and they can choose pretty much anywhere. We give them a a few places that we need about an acre of land to properly site our home. And I'll get to that in a second. But so you can't find an acre of land if you're going to build. We're not going to build on Manhattan Island. We're not going to build in the middle of San Diego or some other metropolis or something like that. And to their credit, more than I'd say probably most of these veterans want to live a little bit further off the grid anyway. So they tell us where they want to live, kind of give us a bullseye out there, and and we start working it. We look for land. We've got a a small land team up here that is looking for land. We also give the veteran back of the envelope planning criteria on what we're looking for in land because it has to be, again, about an acre and fairly flat. Our homes are single story, as Keith was mentioning. We also bounce it off the veteran. When we think we found a spot, we'll send it to them and give we'll present it as an off of a lot. And we want them to go out and take a look at it and make sure that's where they want to live. And as long as they give us a thumbs up, then we'll get into dickering with the owner or the realtor, whoever we got to do to buy it. And then we'll buy them the land. It's ours. We will then go out and find a custom home builder in the area, and we will build them a home from the ground up. So there's a couple of things unpacking there. They tell us where they want to live is unique. Us using a custom home builder and building a home from the ground up. Not everybody does that. A lot of these other organizations are into renovating homes and adding adaptations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But we will build this home from the ground up. The second thing that makes us, and this is absolutely unique to us in our space, is we stay in contact with every one of these veterans and their families that we build for. So after, and I was honored enough to actually be the guy that presented the keys to Keith's home up in Washington state, beautiful place. Yeah, And after we do that, he knows we stay in contact. <laughs> we know what he's up to. Yeah, There's a few reasons we stay in contact. We've got a small group in our organization, really two groups. One is part of our staff, about a five person cell called veteran support. And they're the ones that are really staying in contact with them. We've also got a veterans action advisory team. That's kind of like a peer mentoring group. So it's made up of other veterans in our family that have homes have H 5 homes. And myself and a couple other retirees around here can talk to some of these veterans, military to military, retiree to retiree, but none of us on the staff can talk to them a double amputee to a double amputee mm-hmm. type thing. We've got combat experience up here, but all of us still have all of our parts. So when we need when they need to have one of those cases then we get our VAT energized, we got a leader of it who sits also as a voting member of our national board. He sits on it so he can kind of keep telling us what's going on out there with all the veterans. But we promised them a quality home. If there's anything wrong with it, we're going to make it right. So we need that feedback. Mm -hmm. Second, our homes, uh, about 2,800 square feet, four-bedroom, two-bath, energy-efficient, single-story, and they all come with more than 40 special adaptations designed specifically to restore their freedom and independence and let them get back to doing some of those things we were talking about earlier that the rest of us take for granted every day that they had challenges with. yeah. But that's to restore that freedom and independence. And we need feedback on all those adaptations because again, none of us up here are missing any parts. We're all walking (laughs) around everywhere we go. We need feedback. Did we get them right? Did we get them wrong? Did we miss something? Some of the things Keith was mentioning when he started talking about the flooring, we used to do some hardwood floors, but because of feedback from veterans in wheelchairs tearing those things up, and in a hardwood floor, engineered hardwood is really only about a quarter inch thick. Mm-hmm. So you've got about one time that you can redo those floors, resurface them, and they're done. You're going to have to all new to luxury vinyl tile and plank. And that's what Keith is talking about, that's hard as it can be. And so Pintler back there can go running all he wants to through the house and he ain't scarring up all the floors <laughs> and everything.
0: <laughs> yeah. He
1: can wheel around in the chair all he wants to as well. Yeah. And then the last thing. The, the other reason we really stay in touch with them, as Keith mentioned, and none of these veterans are, are looking backwards. They're not looking in a rear view. They're all focused forward, but they know the hand they've been dealt and that they will be in some form of rehab and recovery for the remainder of their lives. It's just that's the hand they've got, and they're okay. But they're going to go through some dips, and they're going to have times when it's a little bit darker than it is for the rest of us. And they might need a little bit of assistance. Mm-hmm. And we stay in contact with a uh, fully vetted group of probably a couple hundred support organizations that, depending on the challenge that our veteran or their family family member might be having, we can get them in touch with the right people, get them help, get them out of that spot. We also want to be there because, they're, as he said, I'm waiting for the Paralympics. I want to see which ones of our vets qualify and who's going to represent on Team USA. Yeah, And we want to be there to celebrate those successes with them. So that's why we stay in contact. But we stay in contact with every dog, one of our veterans for their lives.
0: Yeah, I think that is such a unique part of your organization. And I can feel, you know, I've heard you say family several times and I even heard you mention. can't remember what her actual first name was, but uh, one of your teammates that you refer to as Ma or everybody refers to as, as Ma. And that's just a very, very unique and I think impactful culture that you have in the organization. So thanks for your leadership. Keith, tell me when Tom first told you that you were getting a home, how'd you feel and kind of how now that you're in the home and you and Pintler are able to relax and not have to worry about some of the things you talked about earlier, not only tell us how you felt when you first got the news, but you know how do you feel now being a part of the
2: H5 family? In the beginning, when I was told, I honestly didn't believe it. It was like, too good to be true type deal. There was actually an organization that was gonna do everything that they said. And through the process of me looking for land, them looking for land, and then the house build, it didn't really sink in until the first time that I drove out to the site and the foundation was poured. And my general contractor was here who happens to be one that has built every H-fodd house in Washington state. I think mine was the seventh house that he built. So he is very invested in every one of these houses. Him, his entire family, I mean, his wife, everybody, talking with him and seeing the foundation, it all really started to sink in. It's overwhelming. It's really overwhelming. And then to go through the three, I guess, meetings of the community. And the first one is your uh, community kickoff, where Tom comes out or somebody comes out and you get to meet the important people in the community. Some of your neighbors, uh, the mayor of the city you're moving to, a chief of police I got to meet. Um, They were all there. And to get to know these people, before I move in, was actually very helpful. When I moved in, I already knew my neighbors. Well, at least the three that had already built homes here. I got lucky and found a place that we only had 14 lots in the community and none of them had houses on them yet. So right now, I think there's only five of us with houses. Yeah. So like Tom was saying, I'm kind of away from uh, a lot of the... Uh, Hustle and
0: bustle. A little off the grid, and, and I'm assuming yes. that you passed the background check with no problem. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Gotta hope so.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's really amazing. amazing. Hey, I want to throw an Audible. We're we're getting close to the time that we have booked, but uh, the other uh, warrior that I mentioned, uh, Chris Aguilera, a uh, retired master sergeant, has joined us. And I want to at least have an opportunity for him to talk a little bit about his experience with HFOT and what it's meant to him. So, Okay, Aggie, Uh, I'm assuming uh, that's what we're seeing on our screen is Aggie's main iPad. So uh, I'm going to call you Aggie if you don't mind. Right. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, man, uh, I just wanted to say we're honored to have you with us and uh, just want to tell you how much we appreciate your service, what you've done for our nation and wondering if you had just a minute to share what working with Homes for Our Troops has meant to you. There it
3: goes. Hey, uh, working for... um Being part of this uh, organization has been pretty great, seeing how much they reach out and they're able to help vets like me. We're all injured. The mechanism that injured us is a little different, but we're all injured in one way or the other. And uh, just trying to be a normal, average, everyday dad is, turned. you know, there's challenges everywhere. Not being able to use a wheelchair, always being in constant pain, not being able to help the wife out with daily activities. It all turns out to just be a lot of problems. And it, it just it hinders you and being a dad. And it makes you feel like sometimes you're not part of the family because the the wife will be taking care of everything or the mother will be taking care of everything. And you're just sitting down trying to control your pain and trying to get stuff done, but you can't do anything, you know? So being part of this organization, seeing how they're reaching out and helping out other people, it's really awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris, you know, thank you so much, man, again, for what you've done in your service to this nation. And I know you've Spent some time with the uh, Warrior Games as, as well. And so thank you for that. And I'm hoping that that's as therapeutic as it is for most of the other Warriors that I get a chance to talk to. And I think you
3: and Keith have actually competed at the same time a couple of times. Yeah, I know Keith from way back <laughs> in the day. Uh, we both, uh, I think, I don't know if it was our first years or not, but we, I think we both started about the same time, maybe one year apart. And uh, it was pretty awesome. I put off trying to join the Games because I didn't want to be labeled as a wounded warrior. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the first ever uh, event that I went to, I saw Keith and then I saw my co-pilot there and I didn't know he was going to be there. And that was the first time I'd seen him in three years. So it was, it was pretty eye opening and uh, very healing for me to be there with these guys and watching them. Yeah, well, good. Hey, tell us uh, just real quick. What phase? I know
0: Keith is already in his home and Tom mentioned that uh, we're in the process of getting you in your home. So where, where how far are you from actually being able to move in?
1: I think uh, Tom was going to answer that one for me. Okay. Yeah, so we should be – I'm targeting May of this year for a slab and a kickoff ceremony out in the Las Vegas area is where Chris is going to be living. Okay. And then normally the homes are in the 8 to 10 month after that, just depending on how quick the contractor goes. And then also uh, God gets a vote because the weather comes (laughs) from time to time. Yeah. So 8 to 10 months after that and hopefully uh, have him in his home and moving on with life.
0: All right. Well, uh, that's amazing. And uh, we'll be watching you from the sideline and cheering to, to make sure that God and the weather and everybody else participates <laughs> so that you can get in your home. Hey, I want to just, uh, before we close, I'd like to start with Keith and then we'll go to Chris and then we'll end with Tom. Well, just any last words that you want to say or what you want people to know about your experience, about being a wounded veteran, about your experience with homes for the troops or, or anything that that you want to share with us. So we'll start with you, Keith.
2: For me, the biggest thing is never give up. Just keep moving forward. You're not alone. And as Tom said, HFOT is there from beginning to end and past. I know if I need help, I can pick up the phone and call somebody out there. When I volunteered to do this, and then I got the list of who was doing it. I got excited because I haven't seen Aggie in several years. <laughs> so this was phenomenal. I mean, you make lifelong friends doing the games. And now he's in the family with H5. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Keith. Okay.
3: Aggie, over to you. I didn't know about most for our troops until my uh, co-pilot, who's much worse off than I am, got a house and uh was in the organization already. And I saw what it did for him, how it was helping him out and giving him independence and not only helping him out, but helping out his wife and his children and everything and letting them be part of that and giving them freedom and giving her the chance to go out and pursue her career and everything. And, uh, I decided to join as well. And I went into it thinking who's going to get a house. Nobody's going to give me a house. It's ridiculous. And then, uh, we go to the conference and you meet other people that are, have the same problems and difficulties. And, uh, all of a sudden you get blessed that, you know, you're getting a house and this organization is going to do it for you. And they're going to, not only are they building you a house, but they're letting you into their family. Like Keith said, you know, all of a sudden it's like uh, the warrior games, but in a different fashion. You're a, you may not be competing in the athletic level, but you're drawn in. My sponsor, Mary, is always there answering questions, giving me calls. I got Tom always there. If I need to, I can call him and ask him for advice and mentorship. It's a great, great organization. I mean, it's awesome. I can't tell you how many times I wish I was already in my house. You know, there's my kid, he's uh, five, and uh, every floor in my house has different levels. So using a wheelchair just isn't an option. You know, there's no way to do that. And I get home, first thing I do is take off my leg. And my kid's gotten smart enough that uh, he knows when he hears the uh, electronic uh, recliner coming down and my leg coming on, that if he's doing something wrong and Mama's angry, I'm going to (laughs) get up and I'm going to be dad. Yeah. So, the last couple of times I hear him giving mom a hard time. Mama's all like, I'm going to get daddy. I'm going to get daddy. And I bring the recliner down. and I'm looking around and I can't find my leg because my son decided, you know what? I'm, like, <laughs> I'm going to plan the I'm going to take daddy's leg and hide it somewhere and then go do some bad stuff. But, you know, it, uh, it's funny, but not having your leg by it, all of a sudden, you're, you can't walk. You can't hop. I'm 100, 250 pounds. And me hopping around on a vinyl floor is not a good thing, you know? So, if I once I get this house, that boy ain't got nowhere to hide. I'll be in that wheelchair.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Aggie. We appreciate it. And thanks
1: for sharing with us, man. Thank you. Yeah. Tom, over to you. Just a couple of things. First, anytime you're around these guys, you're humbled. The things that these guys and gals do, even before they're getting in their homes, the, the stuff that they've, again, they're always looking forward, but they just humble me on a daily basis. So it really is an honor to be in an organization like this. I'd give you one short vignette, and it uh, is kind of in the mode of what Chris was talking about. So last fall, we gave away our 300th home just outside of St. Louis to the Shoemaker family. And they've got a little boy and little girl, wonderful family. And we were walking around inside the house after we did the key ceremony, and one of the staff was in talking with their daughter, who I believe was four at the time, if I'm not mistaken, just turned five recently. And she had talked to her and said, so, and their house was actually furnished by a company that came in and furnished it all and everything, which was really nice. But she was in this pink bedroom where she's got her room now. And they were sitting down on the bed and our staffer looked over and said, so what are you really looking forward to in this new home? expecting to hear something about a room or something like that. And what this four-year-old told her was, I'm looking forward to my daddy being able to come into my room at night and read me a story. Ugh. That's the kind of impact you have on families with these homes. Yeah, I mean, our tagline is building homes, rebuilding lives. Building homes is what we do, but the most important thing to us is the rebuilding lives aspect. And that's what it gets to. And, and Chris is going to be there, and he's going to be able to chase that young and around, I tell you. And he will not be able to get away from it now.
0: Yeah, But it's a
1: great outfit, a great mission. And I don't think you could ever do enough for these troops and their families for what they've done for all of us. Yeah,
0: no, I I agree. And so again, let me just say thank you to you, Tom, and your staff and the entire h family for what you do. And thank you, Keith and Aggie, for your continued service and for being such an inspiration to so many of us to include your children and Pintler uh, as well. So again, if you guys ever need anything and and I would love to maybe offline spend some time with you, Tom, to talk about how Air Force Aid Society can help out and and maybe develop a partnership to support. And certainly personally, I'd, I'd love to be able to donate to Homes for Our Troops. So I'll have our staffs connect and get us together. So we can figure out how to make that happen. But uh, again, I just want to say thank you all for joining us today. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for continuing to be an and inspiration. So ladies and gentlemen, this has been your Airman Helping Airmen podcast. I'm Khalif. Today we had Tom Landwermeyer, the president and CEO of Homes for Our Troops. Keith Sikora, retired retired uh, Army and Air Force veteran and Chris Aggie Aguilera, who is a retired Air Force veteran as well. So thank you guys once again and best of luck to you in the new home, Chris. Thanks for
3: having us. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Airmen Helping Airmen, brought to you by the Air Force Aid Society. To find out more about how we make a difference, visit afas.org. And then be sure to search for Airmen Helping in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of everyone at the Air Force Aid Society, thanks for listening and join us on social media.